Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Anytime they mention New York, I'm very happy. And when I'm reading, I always pull out my best but actually worst Alicia Keys impression and just go, Good. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. I'm your host, Mike Schubert. I have never read the Percy Jackson series before. I am making my way through the series for the very first time, and I am joined by someone who's read the series and is very familiar with it. So let's get right to our guest. Our guest for this episode is the CFO of Black Girls Create and the co-host of The Nerds Are Typing. It's Delia Gallegos. Delia, how's it going? Pretty good. Happy to be here. I'm very excited to be joining you for this particular book. I'm very excited as well. I am already head over heels in love with this book and Percy Jackson, the character, and Percy, the narrator. So I'm very excited. I'm also very excited because in the time between recording episodes one and two and this one, I learned how to properly pronounce Rick Riordan's last name, right? That's how you say it? Okay, cool. Because there was a struggle, as you'll be able to hear in the first two episodes, where I feel like everyone on the internet was giving me a different answer. So then I specifically looked for an interview where Rick said, hi, I'm Rick Riordan. And I said, that's the authority I will trust, Mm -hmm. the man. (laughs) So I know how to pronounce his name. Yay, it only took three episodes. (laughs) So we are going to start with chapter five of The Lightning Thief, which, again, keeps the theme of incredible chapter titles running. But before we get into chapter five, what is your history with this book series, Delia? When did you read it? How big of a fan are you, et cetera? I'm from San Antonio, Texas. Rick Riordan is also from San Antonio, Texas. So the yeah. way I actually got in the books is because... He's your neighbor. <laughs> yeah, he's my neighbor. So I had to read them. He was an English teacher in San Antonio at a private school, not my school. But because of that, I was right in middle school also, the exact age range that I think these books were targeted at. And like, I think just English teachers across San Antonio were just so thrilled to have a an exciting book written by a fellow English teacher in San Antonio. So we like read them as part of the curriculum. That's so cool. Yeah, no, it was super awesome. So that's how I got into them. And I remember it was kind of wild how into like, I mean, we've all been in English class and like reading books that they assign in English class. They don't really get the hits. Mm -hmm. But even I remember kids who didn't like reading, like we were all just hooked onto these books. Like it was kind of, you know, how movies try to paint it at like, oh, this book is really popular. And you see kids reading it everywhere. And you're like, that never really happened. That happened with the Percy Jackson series at that time in San Antonio. So I read it multiple times throughout middle school. And then I got to high school. So I can't remember what books were out at that time when I was in middle school, but I know I never read the last book actually. So I can't actually spoil it that much for you, at least up to a point anyways. Fantastic. But I have been interested also in going back and reading them as an adult. Like that's on my 
high level to do list because I haven't read them as an adult besides these few chapters. Because at the time when we read them in middle school, you know, I thought it was super cool and super interesting to have a protagonist or several protagonists really who were diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia and that stuff. And having that representation. I didn't have any opinions about people with ADHD, but then come to find out later in high school, I was diagnosed with ADHD. And so it's different knowing what I know now and having life experiences I have now. So big fan. I won't say anything about the movies. I have heard nothing but bad things about the movies, except (laughs) for I think people like the guy who played Percy and he did his best is the general understanding I have. Yes. But I at first thought, oh, the movies are going to be so bad that it'll be funny. But now that I'm a few chapters in and am heavily invested already, I think that is switched to I will also be infuriated by the movies. So now I feel a greater sense of dread to eventually cover the movies on this podcast (laughs) because I'm going to be so disappointed when they mess everything up. Shout out Chris Columbus. Okay, I'm glad you know that part because I was like, they are very disappointing. Yes, that is basically (laughs) what I was going to say. But the actor, he does his best. And unfortunately, it does color how I picture Percy. I pictured him very differently. It's adjusted how I've always pictured him. But he did well, so... All right. Well, I'm going to steer clear of the movie thing because I don't want to picture anyone differently than all of the perfect characters that I have in my brain. Yes. So let's get right into chapter five. I play Pinochle with a horse. Fantastic. Great. Love a card game. Love playing a card game with a horse. Who's the horse? We'll learn. So Percy wakes up. He had dreams all night where barnyard animals either wanted food or to kill him, which feels like a stressful and interesting dream to have. <laughs> He wakes up to Annabeth feeding him pudding, asking him things that he is incredibly confused about. And he's kind of doing the classic sleeping, waking up, in and out of consciousness vibe. And then there is a buff, blonde, surfer dude looking guy with eyes all over him watching Percy, which I don't know enough about Greek mythology to know if this is someone I should be aware of. But I did find that description very intriguing. Intriguing is a word. I (laughs) (laughs) imagine being Percy, right? You're like going in and out of consciousness anyway. And then to wake up to like, personally, I don't think I would handle it the way that he handled it. No, tremendous respect for Percy here. So he wakes up for good, for real this time on a porch with Grover. And Grover is in boy form and he is wearing a Camp Half-Blood shirt. He's got a shoebox under his arm, and he gives it to Percy as a thank you for saving his life. And inside the shoebox is the broken-off horn from the Minotaur, which is very cool. What a good gift. I'm sure you have already, but can we just appreciate Grover? Like, just such a good character. Like (sighs) Grover is fantastic, and I really appreciate him as... I assume he's going to be the sidekick type character to Percy. He will be what Ron is to Harry, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love Grover. I love how selfless he is. I like that. He's not perfect. I very much appreciate Grover. Seems like a very good friend. Feels like him and Percy will have an actually mature friendship where they potentially actually talk about their feelings and stuff, which could be very good. So I'm a big, big Grover guy. I also imagine Grover to be an extreme New Yorker. In my brain, he is very much a kid from the city. (laughs) Like Timberland boots, everything. I imagine Grover to be exceedingly from New York. (laughs) I love that. I may have to adjust my headcanon of him. (laughs) Like he's got the puffy coat in winter, like the whole thing. Okay. Oh, yes. I'm just waiting for the scene where Grover angrily yells at a Mets fan about why the Yankees are better, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) 
So Percy says, oh, this is the Minotaur's horn. And Grover warns him, don't use his actual name. But Percy keeps using it and insists, which I appreciate, but we later learn might be a problem because Greek rules, I guess. Mm -hmm. So Percy asks about his mom and Grover just looks down at the ground, which is a bad sign. And I felt very sad because I was confused and still am confused about what the fate of Sally is because she kind of melted to gold. So Percy's very sad. He looks off into the distance, but it's gorgeous scenery. And he thinks that instead the world should be black and cold because at this point he thinks his mother is dead, which damn. So poignant. I just think these books do, and I don't want to spend the whole podcast comparing it to Harry Potter, but like, especially at the time, when these were coming out, that was kind of it. Like, we didn't have big series like that. Mm -hmm. Like, it was Harry Potter and this. And again, I don't know. Growing up in San Antonio was a different experience. Like, I didn't really know if it was just, like, a local thing or how big it was. But for us, it was like, these are the two series that are really huge. But looking back as an adult to, like, the topics these two series are dealing with, I just think this series encourages... <laughs> You can read at any age, but especially kids who are coming to this book to like explore like deeper emotional concepts a lot in a more healthy way mm -hmm. and captures those emotional beats in a more poignant way. No offense to Harry and the gang, but <laughs> I mean, right off the bat, we're dealing with, you know, learning disorders and grief, like just immediately and, you know, difficult home lives and other things to come. And it's just, I don't think... I appreciated that that much as a kid, but I think for those that read it, I think they'll learn to be better emotionally adjusted for it. Whereas I don't think that was true of other series at the time. Yeah, for sure. I think with Harry Potter, at least in the first book, it's very much Harry is just, wow, look at all these new things. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of just a placeholder for the reader getting used to the wizarding world. And I get that it's a little different in that his parents died many years ago, as opposed to Percy's mom, quote unquote, dying just a couple seconds ago. Mm -hmm. So it's a little different there. But I do appreciate that. The book, at least in this point of this first book, balances the wow learning and setting up the world and world building and all of that. But then it also pairs in what Percy is feeling like and how he feels about being in a new place, how he feels about potentially losing his mother. I think it's really nice. And I am very much appreciating this approach and mental health, as you've already mentioned, is already a major theme in it, and it comes up in these chapters that we're going to be covering. So I think that this is a good sign for this series, that it's taking a solid approach to mental health as opposed to some other series. And the Harry Potter stuff's inevitable, especially because I am former Harry Potter podcaster. <laughs> like, right. It's going to happen. It's okay. So Grover apologizes and he says that he's the worst satyr in the world and he stomps his foot so hard that his converse high top comes off and you see inside that it has styrofoam filling. And he screams, oh, sticks, which, <laughs> yes, love the themed expletives. Very solid. I will never tire of that bit. So Percy realizes now that he's an orphan and he thinks, oh, no, am I going to have to live with smelly Gabe? Which does sound like the worst thing anyone mm -hmm. could do. We here at the Newest Olympian hate smelly Gabe and I wish nothing but the worst for him. Absolutely. And I mean, talk <laughs> about adding insult to injury. It's like, 
I mean, yes, the grief is worse, but it's like, wow, come on. (laughs) Right. Yes. It is the equivalent of how could it get any worse? And then it rains. That's how could it get any worse? Oh, no, I might have to live with smelly Gabe. (laughs) (sighs) And Percy goes on to say that he would rather live on the streets or fake his age and join the army than live with smelly Gabe, which honestly cannot blame Percy. Yep, absolutely. Then narrator Percy says, quote, Grover was still sniffling. The poor kid, poor goat, satyr, whatever. Percy's adjusting to the world around him is so fun, and they play it up really well throughout this entire chapter. But I just love that as we are starting to learn new things about the characters, Percy does as the narrator, too. And I think that that really helps for kids following the story. And eventually when characters change, like Grover has changed from kid classmate to satyr protector, it really helps the reader understand what's going on. And it's nice. And then it's also just fun to read. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also really cool because I you're talking about like world building. I think, you know, this is just from like a writing perspective. <laughs> I think it can be difficult, even more so when you're writing an urban fantasy that already exists in our world, like to immerse yourself in the magical part of it because you also want it grounded in the real world. And I think what Rick Riordan does really well is I feel Percy feels like, yes, you have your point of view character and that's their purpose. But I really feel like he feels like a real, like that is how a kid I would have reacted when I was put into this world. Like, yes, you have like Harry Potter where it's like, oh my gosh, this is wild. You know, we've got magic and stuff. Or, I mean, I don't know if anybody listening has read Legendborn. It's kind of a slimmer thing where it's like, oh, there's a secret magic world. She's more just kind of like really ready to take it on. But I think the most realistic depiction would be like, I don't know, this is all very weird. This is what's (laughs) happening. I'm just rolling with it at this point. (laughs) I also appreciate that Percy asks a lot of questions and he doesn't get answers to all of them. And then he gets frustrated when he doesn't. But yes, a lot of his bottom line is just, I don't know, man, there's a lot going on. (laughs) And he just kind of focuses on what he needs to get to the next step, which I very, very much appreciate. So Percy tells Grover it wasn't his fault, and Grover says, yes, it was. It was my job to protect you. And Percy says, why? But then he starts to feel faint, which felt very convenient. But then Grover hands him a glass, and it is basically the liquid version of the trademark Sally Jackson blue chocolate chip cookies, which I don't know how you do that, but that sounds fantastic. I want that. Immediately. Mm-hmm. And what's also strange about it is that it is a glass that has ice in it, but the ice didn't melt even though the drink itself was warm, like hot cookies fresh out of the oven. So clearly there is some Greek mythological magic afoot, but I am absolutely on board for this. Yeah, magical food in general, out of all the things that, you know, I wish the most when I'm reading any fantasy, but like when authors take the time to like immerse you and like describe the flavors and food, I respond very highly to sensory things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the things that sticks with me the most. And to this day, I sometimes think about that chocolate chip drink. Like, I'm just like, what? I Can I, can we please? Why is technology not here? <laughs> I think that should be the new icebreaker question. Clearly, when this podcast sweeps the nation and everyone starts reading Percy Jackson and me and Rick become best friends, <laughs> the new icebreaker question should be, what does your magical drink taste like? 
because then you get to talk about your favorite food or the food that has the most cherished memory to you. And I guess we should start it right now. Delia, what would your magic drink taste like? Ooh. And you can take some time to think because I also need time to think. And I did kind of throw you under the bus by asking you first under the guise of being polite. But the real motivation was I need to think of the answer too. That's a great question, though. What would it taste like? Oh, my gosh. You know what? I think it would probably taste like every now and again, my grandma would make baklava, like when we would have big family Christmases. I don't even know why, but she makes really great baklava. Like she has no reason to like culturally, but she just makes great baklava and it tastes so good. And so I just imagine it would taste like baklava, but maybe with like a hint of cinnamony spice something to like weave in the essence of Christmas, like the holidays when we would be eating it, I think. I love that. I love that. I would have two potential answers. One would be when I was a kid growing up in New Jersey, we were close enough to Pennsylvania, Hershey, Pennsylvania, where Hershey makes all their stuff, that your grocery stores get hooked up with a bunch of very good Hershey-based chocolate beverages. Mm -hmm. And they have, and they still sell it in New York, it's a cookies and cream milkshake. And as a kid, I used to pound those all the time. And then I lived in Texas for a decade and other places. And then I moved back to New York City and I was in a bodega and I saw it and I said, yes, I got to get this. It's been literally decades since I've had this. And at this point in time, I was 20 seven, 28. I had it and I chugged it and my stomach hated me. Oh no. Because it is so filled with sugar. So I think one answer could be taste like that, but not make me feel like death. Mm -hmm. The other answer would be there is a perfect restaurant. If anyone is in the Houston, Texas area, go there immediately. Taqueria Ruby. It is a parked taco truck on the side of a highway. And I mean, literally next to an overpass of a highway. It is absolutely perfect. All the tacos are $2. Adding avocado only costs 25 cents, which is phenomenal. And Chipotle should take notes. But they also sell agua frescas. And one of them is horchata. Mm. And you can get a 32-ounce horchata for $2.99, which is absurd and it is so delicious and also i just have so many great memories of eating at that restaurant with my friends because basically anytime i'm back in houston i tell any of my friends let's meet up for lunch here because everyone needs to know about this place so i think those would be my two options of what my drink would taste like i have a second answer just because i want to put people on mostly but you saying a restaurant made me think of In New Orleans, there is a famous restaurant. Doki Chase is all it's called. If you've seen Princess and the Frog, Tiana is based on Leah Chase. (gasps) That's so cool. Everything at that restaurant is so delicious, but one of the best foods I have ever had in my life. Beyonce goes there every time she's in New Orleans. Like, that's the level. Mm. But they had this side dish out one day called carrot souffle. Hmm. When I tell you, I imagine that is what ambrosia tastes like. Okay. that. So also maybe that, but also if you're ever in New Orleans, go to Doki Chase. That's it. Yes. If either of these establishments want to sponsor the podcast, yes, shoot me an email. Absolutely. <laughs> you can pay us in food. So Grover asks how it tastes and how Percy feels. Percy says he feels good enough to chuck Nancy Boba Fett 100 yards, which that's a great feeling. Yeah. You're on top of the world. Have you read Lord of the Rings? I know. I keep talking about every other book. I'm so sorry. That's fine. No, that's all good. I've not read them, but I have watched them because my wife would not have said yes when I proposed if I hadn't. It was a prerequisite <laughs> to marriage. <laughs> I mean, naturally. Of course it was. That makes total sense to me. Well, in the books, they will describe how 
eating like limbus bread or some, you know, different races have these different like tonic type things that they drink to like revitalize themselves. And that description also reminded me of that. And I was like, we need more like magic medicine, magic tonics, these types of things. Yeah. I would like it. I'm also in the middle of moving right now. So like my energy is just zapped. So these things are really sticking out to me. Like, man, to live in a world where you just drink something that tastes like potentially in Percy's case, chocolate chip cookies, or, you know, in my case, baklava, whatever. And then I feel like I can chuck Nancy Boba Fett, like <laughs> however many yards. Like, yes, I want that ASAP, Julie. Yeah, I would love that. I also appreciated about Lambus bread that you only have to eat a little bit and then you're full for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I was just on tour doing Potterless Live shows and I was driving a lot across the Midwest and Many of my drives, I didn't have enough time to stop to eat, so I was just cliff barring my way through these three to six hour drives, which works. But I would love it if instead of having to eat a lot of them, I could just have a little nibble of something and then be good. Or yeah, this drink that's so much more convenient than trying to eat something while you're driving. Love that. Because Percy feels so good, Grover says, okay, we can't risk you drinking any more of this. And we later learn that this stuff can be a little bit dangerous, not just perfect. So before Grover can answer any more of Percy's questions, Grover says that Chiron and Mr. D are waiting. So Percy walks around with Grover to the opposite side of the house, and he sees a swath of ancient Greek-style buildings that all look brand new, as opposed to your classic ruins. And where they are is a camp camp. This is a camp camp camp. Beach volleyball, canoes, archery, horseback riding, though some of the horses are pegasi, which is fantastic. (laughs) I've never been to one of these camps. The only summer camps I ever did was sports camps. I did a lot of tennis camps, some basketball camps, some baseball camps. Did you ever go to the classic sleepaway cabin bunk bed camp? I did a couple of times. I went to one that was just straight up a camp camp called, I think, Camp Flaming Arrow somewhere in Texas. I think it still exists. And it was pretty fun. But I also went to church camps, but that existed in the same like camp camp thing. And I just It's really strange because like my personality does not lend itself to camps at all. I'm very much just like an introvert, not sportsy. Like I absolutely would never be caught at a sports camp like that is not (laughs) my ministry. But I have such great memories. And I think that's also why I think these books resonate with people a lot. Maybe you can speak to having only experienced sports camp, but I think it's very nostalgic, even at the time reading it, because summer camp is like this magical time Mm -hmm. as a kid, as you're experiencing it, like during the year, you remember it fondly, like instant nostalgia. So I feel like this really captures that. Only now with magic, like you said, they have Pegasi. Like, excuse me, I would love to. (laughs) None of my camps had that. I think the problem is I grew up in a suburb in central New Jersey, and there wasn't a lot of wilderness around, so I don't think these camps would have been easily accessible. And then also just wilderness stuff wasn't high on anyone's priority list. Everyone was very into playing various sports, but if you were a kid in middle school that did Boy Scouts everyone made fun of you for it. Like, if you were a Boy Scout, it was, oh, what, are you bad at basketball? (laughs) Are you not good at any sport? Is that why you're tying knots in the forest and walking old women across the street? And then I eventually moved to Texas and learned that people are very into Boy Scout stuff in Texas because I once was trying to see if a friend could stay at my place for the weekend. And he said, no, I've got this Eagle Scout trip this weekend. We're going camping. And I was like, you're an Eagle Scout? That's weird. And literally, 
literally, it was like it was out of a movie. Everyone turned around <laughs> and in unison basically said, I'm an Eagle Scout. And I was like, oh, no, I'm the weird New Jersey kid. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, in Texas, it's very, I was in Girl Scouts, not for that long, but I made it all the way to, what comes after brownies? Like, I stopped right after brownies, but yeah, it's very, very popular, so I think that's interesting, that uh, cultural difference. Yeah, so maybe it was just where I grew up, but what you were saying about the nostalgia and the love for summer camp, I loved going to my summer camp of doing tennis camp at Mercer County Community College tennis camp every summer. It was great. It was a blast. We had so much fun. It was just sports and stuff instead of canoes and basket weaving, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the first person that Percy sees is a small, curly-haired, cherub-looking, middle-aged man. And I love narrator Percy says, what do you call them? Hubbubs? Uh, cherubs? <laughs> <laughs> it's just great. Narrator Percy is incredible. Absolutely. Complete God-tier narrator. <laughs> so we learn that this person is Mr. D, and he is the camp director. The curly-haired girl that helped Percy out before is Annabeth Chase. She is a camper, and immediately I am pegging her as the future love interest of Percy. And as this continues over the next couple of chapters, I feel very good about this. There's a little bit of hard-to-get action going on. I am along for the ride of them getting together. But if they don't and they just end up friends, I will also be happy because I am of the belief that not every boy-girl pairing has to kiss. It is okay. That was my favorite thing about Rogue One is that the two people were just friends. (laughs) And then there was no forced romance. Loved that. We need more of that. Truly, we need more of that. Especially in stories, won't speak of this one because who knows what's going to happen. But I think especially, I don't know why that was such a thing in middle grade literature. Mm -hmm. Especially, I'm like, it could just be buds being buds, you know? (laughs) Yes. More buds. Let's get more buds being buds. So Annabeth apparently has been at the camp longer than anyone. So we also learn that Chiron is Mr. Brunner. Narrator Percy says, quote, his eyes got the flint when he pulled a multiple choice quiz and made all the answers B. Absolute legend. I had a religion teacher in high school that did this once. Each week we would have a little 10 question quiz and sometimes he would play around with the shape of the Scantron. There was one where the correct answers were in a zigzag and then there was one where I think every answer was either B or D. And I remember getting to number five out of 10 and being very confident in the answers, but also being petrified that I had put B five times in a row. (laughs) That is wild. I would have definitely fallen for it. He would have loved to get because I definitely would have been like, I'm confident about these answers, but there's no way this pattern is correct. I feel like if I was a teacher doing Scantron stuff, I would first try to spell something if you held your Scantron horizontally, try to make some sort of shape or word, and then make the multiple choice questions around it because that would be so fun you turn it to the side and it says the subject that you're teaching like it spells out biology or whatever or ooh, or if you're the biology thing it makes a perfect dna double helix that could be very fun <laughs> agents of chaos <laughs> i love mr broder here i love that he has become chiron mm-hmm. hello everyone and welcome to the lightning brief our mid-roll break first if you are listening to this episode before wednesday september 22nd at 7 p.m eastern time that means it's not too late to catch the live show for meddling adults one of the other podcasts that i make if you live in new york city you can see it in person if you live anywhere where you have access to the internet you can watch the stream of it and tickets for however you are viewing it live at bit.ly slash meddling adults nyc all lowercase my wife 
Kelly Schubert is going against my best friend, Johnny Frolicstein, in a contest of solving children's mysteries for charity, and it's going to be a great time, and I hope you check it out. Also, I am continuing to make my way through thanking all of the wonderful people who have already supported The Newest Olympian on Patreon. If you want to support on Patreon, you can do so at thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon. You'll get access to a bunch of cool bonus features. I'm starting to put those together for The Newest Olympian, so some bonus episodes, bonus audio, etc. And in this episode in particular, I want to thank everyone who has joined at the Super God tier. The Super God tier gets you access to all of that bonus audio, whether that be the monthly bonus episodes or any sort of audio from recording that didn't make it into the show. So shout out to Alison Gupta, Afreen Rahman, Kate Ridley, Kaylee Pinto, Anthony Charlier, Catherine Gilbert, Tova Vikstrom, Cecilia, Charlotte, Sarah Serto, Danielle Salerno, Kylie Sue, Maya, Brett Clausen, Phelan, Melanie De Reif, Caitlin, Megan McCasland, Kirsten Konigbauer, Sam Matzi, Diego Zenhausern, Fallon or Kurto, Renate Witt, Nina Campley, Gannett Randall, Allison Bradley, Isabel Miller, Lily Zetza, Kristen Watson, Million Books to Read, Lexu, Billy Turner, Marshy, Snookmaster20, Just a Block, Pebbles, Rebecca Turi, Anna Holler, Keona Smith, Jacob David Long, Claire Summery, Allison Black, Emily and Damian Sear, Alex Wood, Taylor Irvin, and Tasha Herala. Also, shout out to Casey Hobbs, who is one of our new Mega God patrons. And a huge shout out to our newest Ultra Gods, our producer level status patrons. First, I want to do name corrections for Josh Wilkie and Minka Driesen. And finally, a shout out to our newest producer level patrons, Martin Anvik, Abby Ryan, Josh Clements, Angela MF, and Mary Baumgartner. So again, thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Now, if you're all caught up on the News Olympian and you're looking for a new podcast to consume, I'm an independent podcast boy and I make a whole bunch of podcasts and I think they're very good. I am biased, but I think they're very good. One of the shows that I make with my buddy Adam Amawala is called Horse. Horse is a comedic basketball podcast where we talk about the NBA and the WNBA, but we do it in a way that has absolutely no gatekeeping because we want to be open for all, especially if you are new to the sport or you want to learn about the sport. We talk about past events. We talk about current events. You can be in the know. It's very fun. It's very silly. So you can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts by searching for horse or going to our website, horsehoops.com. Now, before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of those ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. Only other thing to do here now in the lightning brief is to turn over to some sponsors that will not be read by me. And just a note, these are added dynamically. They are inserted based on your location. So if these ads are in a different language because you live in not America, that's because your podcasting app knows that you are not in America. So don't be alarmed if you hear a German ad in Germany. But let's hear from those sponsors who are helping me do this as a full-time job, which is pretty sweet. And afterwards, we'll get back to the episode. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Games. 
So Mr. D then begrudgingly formally welcomes Percy to Camp Half-Blood. It's funny that Half-Blood has now become the official term here. I really thought I'd left the Harry Potter life behind me, but it is inescapable. And also at this point, I am fully envisioning Mr. D. Maybe this is because of Hercules and Phil and Danny DeVito, but I am fully envisioning Mr. D is just Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> Just a short, grumpy, curly-haired man. Yeah, I think the vibes are absolutely very similar. Very, very similar. I love Mr. D. I was so excited that I got to be part of this chapter because I just think the descriptions of him and in general, when you like take it back to actual Greek mythology and you just see, again, this is just from like a craft perspective of how Rick Riordan has like interpreted these things there's a lot of adaptations of greek mythology but this is just so unique and i just i love to see it i think it's so cool and mr d is a great example of that i was a bit disappointed in mr d eventually when we learn who he is and i'll save that for a couple minutes <laughs> it's not that far but i very much like the greek god that mr d is and i have a skewed perspective in that my main knowledge of this god comes from Hercules the movie and Hades the video game, and I like both of those <laughs> representations of the god that he is, and not necessarily grumpy person that can't be bothered to deal with Percy. Mm -hmm. But Percy ends up backing off because he can tell that Mr. D, quote, is hitting the happy juice, and he goes on to say, if Mr. D was a stranger to alcohol, I was a satyr. Percy, <laughs> my goodness, just coming out guns blazing, bringing the heat. He's sparing no one of the burns. I just, ugh. Percy. He smells a hint of smelly Gabe on Mr. D, and he immediately hates Mr. D. <laughs> Which, valid. <laughs> yeah. So continuing on, Percy describes Annabeth as basically being your classic trademark athletic California girl, but her eyes are gray, which is interesting. Percy is intimidated by her, but in a good way, which I very much love if they do become a love interest thing. I like Percy being kind of scared of her. <laughs> it's my favorite, one of my favorite, you know, romantic pairing tropes. Like, she's a little scary, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good. I like that if they come together, it won't be the power dynamic of she's the damsel in distress falling all over him thing. It feels like what the woman from Top Gun should have been, where she comes in a position of power and she has high class. But then in Top Gun, once Tom Cruise starts making the moves, she just turns into oh my gosh, wow, I love you so much, and loses all of what makes her cool and independent. So I'm hoping Annabeth keeps that intimidation factor if her and Percy become a thing. Mm -hmm. Annabeth looks at the minotaur horn and then at Percy, and he expects some sort of compliment, but then she just turns and says, you drool when you sleep. <laughs> and at this point, I need them to get married. They are perfect. The they best. are absolutely perfect together. I love it. <laughs> So Percy asks if Mr. Brunner works here and the narrator just this is, again, a great use of turning Mr. Brunner into Chiron. It says, quote, not Mr. Brunner, the ex Mr. Brunner says, and it explains that he goes by Chiron. Percy asks Mr. D what the D stands for. He gets grumpy and then gives the whole names are powerful line, which comes up a lot. So Chiron explains that he decided to teach at Yancey once Grover told him about Percy, and he's excited at the prospect of Percy becoming a camper. What's also nice about the narrator, again, to help the reader, and it's also just fun, is that he goes from the ex-Mr. Brunner to 
Chiron hyphen Brunner and then Chiron, which is just a great way to help us transition from, no, he's not a teacher. He's Chiron from Greek mythology. <laughs> right. We're visually seeing Percy process this instead of, oh, he was unsure. And then like in the next chapter, oh, he's got it down. Like we get to see the transition, which I just think is so clever mm -hmm. and enjoyable to watch. It's nice. And I appreciate a name change being actually addressed as opposed to in Harry Potter when the put outer just becomes the deluminator mm -hmm. and Harry just doesn't even blink at this notion. So I am very much on board for this. So Mr. D basically forces Grover and Percy to play them in Pinochle, which he says is one of the best man-made games alongside gladiator fighting and Pac-Man, which is just a great company to be in. I don't think Pinochle is the best card game to play. I'm a spades boy myself. My dad is very into Pinochle. And every time we play spades, with my family, my dad always references that in Pinochle, you do this or whatever. And I always have to remind my dad, we're not playing Pinochle, Joel. Get over it. <laughs> we're playing Spades. That's so interesting. I've never played Pinochle. Yeah, it is similar to a game like Spades and Hearts, but you have to play with a special card deck, which I do think severely hampers the playability because you have to have a special Pinochle deck where I think you only have 10 and face cards and then you have more of them. And it's similar to one of those games where you try to win hands or tricks similar to spades, but mm -hmm, depending mm -hmm. on the hand, you get different point values as opposed to a trick is a trick and that's it. Okay. But I am ride or die for spades. If anyone wants to play against me and lose, hit me up. <laughs> and lose. Okay. <laughs> Noted. I will go nil. I will make it very stressful for my teammate, but we will persevere. <laughs> So Chiron goes on to say that the usual orientation film won't do, which I really want to see the usual orientation film. <laughs> I need to see this. And he drops the bomb that the Greek gods are indeed very real, which is funny because this is basically just the Percy Jackson version of you're a wizard, Harry. He basically <laughs> just immediately goes, you're a demigod, Percy. <laughs> <laughs> And then, if you think things couldn't get any wilder, Grover then asks Mr. D if he can eat his Diet Coke can, and then does, which I was certainly not expecting. <laughs> love it. I just love, I love, I love. That's it. That's my only no. <laughs> the most efficient form of recycling is giving aluminum cans <laughs> to your Seder friend to eat. Yeah, I mean, why why go through the hassle of sorting and all that? <laughs> Stew it in real time. <laughs> Here you go, Grover. Captain Planet would be so proud. <laughs> the power is yours, Grover. So Chiron explains a little bit more. Percy starts naming all of the gods and saying their names, and then he hears thunder in the distance, and Mr. D warns again, stop using people's names. But Percy says they're just myths. They're just what people used to explain things before science was popular. And Mr. D calls him Perseus, which I am embarrassed that I didn't see that coming. Obviously, that's his full name. Clearly it is. <laughs> Percy shudders at the thought because he doesn't tell anyone his full name. And he is confused as to how Mr. D would know that is his full name. Mr. D continues then to snootily dismiss the notion of science saying that, oh, years from now, you mortals will look back at what you thought was science and you'll say that that was mythology, et cetera, et cetera. 
Percy says he doesn't believe in gods, and Mr. D says, well, you better, and then he magically makes a goblet appear and then fill with wine, and Chiron has to remind him of his restrictions, and D changes it then to Diet Coke, and then apologizes to the sky, which thunders back at him. And at this point, I said, ah, yes, the D must stand for Dionysus if he was trying to make wine. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that he has restrictions. Like, I think it's so clever. Yeah. I love it. I grew on Mr. D more when you learn the circumstances around it, because I mm-hmm. think that is very funny. And I am very intrigued to see if Mr. D is always in this form or if this also is part of his punishment. Because in my brain, all of the Greek gods and goddesses are muscle bob buff pants where they've just got muscles on muscles on muscles. So to be tiny little cherub boy, grumpy old man... I feel like that might not be a permanent case for him, but we'll see. So Kyron explains that Mr. D offended his father a while back after taking fancy to a wood nymph. And at this point, I did write in my notes, is Mr. D Dionysus? Is Dionysus the son of Zeus? Is that how this all works? And then you learn that his first punishment given to Mr. D was prohibition. And then his second was working with kids on Half-Blood Hill. And narrator Percy, again, just not pulling any punches, says, Mr. D sounded about six years old, like a pouting little kid. (laughs) Just fantastic. So then Percy does put it all together that Mr. D is Dionysus and his dad is Zeus. And again, I was envisioning Dionysus as the big, chill dude from Hades the video game. And this is very different. So I am very put in discomfort here, as is Percy. He's in complete disbelief and is a little bit snarky about it. Mr. D, in response to this disbelief, plants visions in Percy's head of the havoc that he can wreak. Just all of his plant vine based havoc that he could do to anyone to show his power and at that point percy realizes ah yes this is certainly dionysus and i should not mess with this guy <laughs> like my apologies i got a little sassy with you my bad if we could just rewind 10 seconds and pretend i did not say anything i mean in percy's defense this whole concept of gods in the first place is new so it makes sense that he would be a little out of pocket to begin with yeah. he's got to learn the ropes you know So Mr. D says he's tired, and he tells Grover to come with him for messing up the watching over Percy task. And then Mr. D tells Percy to go to cabin 11. And when Percy asks Chiron if Grover is going to be okay, Chiron says, yeah, Mr. D just hates his job, and he doesn't want to wait a century to return to Olympus. So we understand that his punishment here is, you know, just a quick 100-year sentence. A quick little timeout. It's fine. Yeah. When you're immortal, that's just a blip on the timeline, so it makes sense. So Chiron then explains that, yes, Mount Olympus is a real place in Greece. It's an actual mountain, but the Mount Olympus that the gods live on moves along with Western civilization. And this is one of the first times that I felt a little weird about the book. I felt like that wasn't great and maybe it was just a workaround to get it into America where the books take place. But it did feel kind of weird to say that Mount Olympus started in Greece and then went to Rome and then it was around Europe and then it was in England, which, uh, come on. (laughs) And then it gets over to America. It just felt a little bit like, oh, yeah, Mount Olympus goes wherever the powerful white people are. And I didn't like that. Yeah, I got to say, even when I read it the first time, again, no offense, I don't want to 
offend anybody, but it's never made that much sense to me besides the, oh, we're going to center it where all the powerful white people are. It's just like, why? Like, why? Yeah. I think what rubbed me the wrong way the most about it is just explicitly tying it to Western civilization. And maybe I'm just skewed because now saying Western ideals is what racist people say to try to get around saying that they like white people more than anyone else. So maybe I am 2021 skewed here, but... I just feel like there could have been a different way to get the same effect of the ultimate goal of getting the gods in New York. Maybe if you just say they move from place to place, but explicitly saying, ah, Mount Olympus is wherever Western civilization is, that felt rude to the rest of the world. But I do know that Rick has made Rick Riordan presents spinoff stuff where it has mythology of other cultures and it's written by people from those cultures. So maybe this is something that Rick has already apologized for. I know that he is familiar with the concept of apologizing, which, whoa, can you imagine? A concept. <laughs> whoa, I, wow. Who knew? Whoa. <laughs> Did you even know authors could do that? My word. Authors can do that? Why authors can do that? So maybe this is something he's already addressed, so I don't want to put him on blast. But this was just the first instance of, eh. And I got to say, if we're five chapters into the first book and I've only had one, eh, thought, I'm feeling pretty hopeful about the series. I mean, I think it's right to be, eh, about it. To me, even still, doesn't make the most logical sense as far as, like, world building like there were so many other ways to do it like you said i mean why not just have oh there's multiple you know portals to it but it is in great you know there's a lot of ways you could have done it yeah but it's more like limited in in the scope of the author you can tell rather than actively harmful so yeah it definitely feels like a thing where rick came up with an idea of how the greek gods aren't only in Greece. Mm -hmm. And it's something at the time where it felt cool and creative. And then looking back, maybe someone points him out, that's not great. And I trust Rick enough to be like, yeah, I can see how that interpretation is not great. My bad. So it doesn't feel like an intentional thing where Rick is explicitly saying, yeah, white people, you're the best. So I don't think it's anything nefarious. I think it just kind of is a a little tiny baby yikes. Mm -hmm. But Chiron explains that America is now the heart of the flame. And then Chiron turns into a white horse centaur. And Chiron's one of those things, I knew a little bit about Chiron, but not a lot because he is not a character in Hades the video game, but he is mentioned. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I know Chiron is bow and arrow is basically all I knew because one of the bows is named after Chiron. So when he turned into a white horse centaur, which I had never even seen that before, very cool. That was awesome. And then he tells Percy that it's time to meet the other campers, which... What a power move. Absolute power move. And that's the end of the chapter. And they really did wait until the final buzzer to make the reveal. I love that the chapter titles are absurd. And I had already forgotten that this one was called I Play Pinochle with a Horse. So when you started playing Pinochle and we learned that Mr. D is Dionysus, I should have process of eliminationed that oh, Chiron's the horse. But I was so captivated by the story, I forgot the chapter title. What's also very convenient in whatever edition that I have, it doesn't have the chapter titles at the top of every single page. It just has the page number, which is very good in terms of me not getting spoiled. So I appreciate that I will often probably forget what the chapter title is called because I'm just engrossed. But yeah, they really waited to the last minute and I love it. And that's the end of chapter five. Yeah, I think chapter titles are a very strong suit of this series. I had forgotten how good they are and we'll get into it, but even the next chapter title is also very good. Yeah, it's something that I had to do with Potterless because I got burned by trying to map out how many pages, chapters, etc. I should cover and then I saw a chapter title that was a little spoilery. So I, from that moment on, was sure to not look at the chapter titles. 
and especially for this one, I asked our editor, Sherry, can you just tell me how many chapters are in each book? Because if I look at a table of contents, <laughs> this is going to be a problem because they're so good and I want to be surprised by all of them. So I cannot be spoiled here. They are too fantastic. As you astutely pointed out, chapter six, which we'll just cover a bit of here before we get to the end of the episode, and we'll pick up the rest of it in the next one. Chapter six is called, I Become Supreme Lord of the Bathroom. <laughs> just... I would like to clap for that. It's great. I thought that my bathroom and my apartment was perfectly decorated. There are two framed things because my wife is an architect. She's usually in charge of what goes on the walls because she is better at me at designing the house. But she let me have free reign over the bathroom, which I very much appreciate. <laughs> so in my bathroom, I have a big framed drawing of Russell Westbrook, a basketball player, doing a big fearsome dunk with tigers behind him. And it's great. <laughs> And then I also have the most intense live, laugh, love artwork that my buddy Noah gave to me at our housewarming party. And it's not just live, laugh, love. There are eight things on it. It's live, laugh, love, smile, play, dance, all this stuff. And none of them <laughs> make sense. Absolutely none of them. The smile one says smile until your face hurts. Okay, I get it. The play one says play like there are no winners, which is just not how you should play. Maybe I'm just incredibly competitive, but that doesn't make any sense. There's the classic dance like nobody's watching, but it is just the most ridiculous thing. So that is currently over the bathroom. I'll put a picture on the Instagram that maybe that'll be the picture of this episode is here's my obnoxious <laughs> love love thing. But I really need a framed thing. Maybe one of those needlepoint cross-stitch type things. I would say thing. cross-stitch of I become a supreme lord of the bathroom. I really need a cross-stitch for my bathroom that says I become, supreme <laughs> I become supreme lord of the bathroom because my God, that's so good. If that doesn't already exist on Etsy, I'm sure there's a listener somewhere that can point you in the right direction. It surely has to, but oh God. Or maybe a towel that says it, a little washcloth that says I become supreme lord of the bathroom. It needs to be just kitschy enough that you're like, oh, it's just a cute bathroom thing but then you read it and you're like all right okay but if you know you know yeah a regular person uses your bathroom they go okay this is a bit extreme for the soap dispenser <laughs> but all right <laughs> so chapter six amazing title i wrote incredible no notes <laughs> so, so it starts off you think this chapter title is already the perfect way to start this chapter but the first sentence is quote once i got over the fact that my latin teacher was a horse <laughs> just perfect it's so good. It's so funny. And I think I'm a little biased here, but Percy kind of talks a little bit the way that I talk, which is great. I love doing a tongue-in-cheek, trying to paint something extreme as normal to make light of it. And starting with once I got over the fact that my Latin teacher was a horse is just so strong. What an opener. You know, no big deal. I also wanted to stress that he points out that he's careful not to walk behind them because, yes. you know, you're not supposed to walk behind horses because you'll spook them. And I just cracked up because that is just brilliant. Yes. He mentions to not walk behind Chiron because he doesn't want to spook the horse, but also because he's done cleanup duty for the Macy's parade. So he's also afraid of poop which is very good. He goes on to say, quote, I did not trust his backside like I did his front, which is just so great. You think the chapter title's perfect. Then you get the opening line. Then you get, I gotta stay away from horse poop. It's fantastic. And also, how did he get cleanup duty at the Macy's Day Parade? 
that's cool. What a fun volunteer activity to do as a middle schooler. And I love all the New York references. I know I'm super biased here, but I think it's great. Anytime they mention New York, I'm very happy. And when I'm reading, I always pull out my best but actually worst Alicia Keys impression and just go, New York! (laughs) (laughs) You should probably officially record that and you'll just have to like play that in anytime. While you go through the series. Yes. I will either sing it poorly every time like that or try to hope that Jay-Z and Alicia Keys don't sue me if I just use a two-second clip of it. Or maybe I'll get someone who's actually good at singing to sing it and then I can royalty-free continually put in that anytime something in New York happens because I'm on board. Absolutely. So Percy walks with Chiron through the camp. He passes some campers who whisper, that's him him in italics. So, you know, they really put the emphasis on him. So clearly, word of Percy has spread through the camp. Of course it has. It's a camp. They're middle schoolers. Naturally, this happens. He notes that most campers are older than him, and most of the satyrs are bigger than Grover. And then Percy looks back at the farmhouse, which is bigger than he recalls, and he thinks he sees something move a curtain in the topmost window, the fourth floor. And he asks Chiron what that window is, what that room is. Chiron says it's the attic, and Percy asks, oh, someone lives there? And Chiron says, no. But then he says, not a single living thing, which is too long of an answer to just mean no. That is too specific where clearly Chiron is answering on a technicality here. So that's got to be a ghost or a spirit or an undead something. Something moved to the curtain and it's something that isn't alive and we're going to meet them later. I am fully convinced. Mm. I like I like the mums the wordness of not spoiling me. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> very challenging being a guest on this podcast, especially early on. So I give so much credit to you and all of the guests that are here. And it's something that came up when I did Potterless. People would say, oh, why don't the guests say this or why don't they do that? Because guests can't spoil me. It would literally ruin the show. <laughs> I gotta say for your listeners, it is more difficult than you would think because if you've already read um, the Percy Jackson series, because there's just stuff you take for granted and you want to err on the side of caution. So just keep that in mind. I couldn't have done a Potterless episode, I'm pretty sure. That's too <laughs> too ingrained in me. I don't know. I know um, my teammates, Robin and Bayana, have been on. And I just, I'm like, I don't have the skills to not just blurt out Harry Potter facts because they're just that innate in me. Mm-hmm. This, I was like, okay, I think I can do this. But it is early on. And there are a lot of times that I'm like, mm-hmm, yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> don't worry. Robin didn't have the skills either. There were multiple times in the recording where I had to take off my headphones and she had to ask Bayada whether or not this thing happened yet. So (laughs) do not worry. But yes, if anyone listening thinks, wow, the guest in this episode really isn't saying that much, seems like they're just saying "Mm mm-hmm a lot. You probably know if you've read the books why they're saying "Mm mm-hmm. And if you're reading along with me for the first time, the "Mm mm-hmms are good because they're not spoiling you or me. And that makes the podcast and your experience better. Hooray, Digital Book Club. Mm -hmm. So they walk through the strawberry fields forever, I can only assume. And Chiron notes that selling these strawberries to New York restaurants and Mount Olympus covers the expenses of the camp. And I think that that is phenomenal. I love that. Mm -hmm. Not a spoiler. Mm -hmm. I was just agreeing. (laughs) (laughs) Just agreeing. So apparently Dionysus is very good at growing fruit because he's Dionysus and he is best with grapes, but he's banned from doing so because obviously he would make wine. But at this point, I thought, 
you certainly can make strawberries into alcohol, can't you? So I Googled it, and apparently they can be fermented, and apparently it is really easy to do so. Apparently because there's so much sugar in a strawberry, it only takes a couple of days for them to ferment. So I'm going to go home and I'm fermenting strawberries this weekend. (laughs) Fun fact, did you know that like squirrels can get drunk? Like (gasps) if you have a fruit tree and the fruit drops and starts to like spoil and ferment, like squirrels will eat it and they will be drunk, like running around all willy-nilly because they've eaten fermented fruit. That's amazing. And I cannot think of a better place to end this episode of The Newest Olympian (laughs) than on the revelation that squirrels can get drunk off of fermented fruit. So fantastic. Great. Thank you for bringing this into our lives, Delia. And thank you for guesting on this episode of The News Olympian. If people want to find you doing stuff on the internet, podcast-wise, anything else, where can they do so? On Twitter, you can find me at Delia is typing. I'm usually talking about random nerdy stuff. Lord of the Rings is a big one lately. Mm. So if you're into that, come follow me. And also on Instagram, um, you can follow my podcast slash Enneagram MBTI typing account at the nerds are typing on Instagram or also blackgirlscreate.org. Plug, plug, plug. (laughs) Yes, all great things. Well, Delia, thank you again so much for joining. Listeners, thank you for listening. I'm very excited. In the first two episodes, I didn't want to force a catchphrase at the end because I felt like trying to find the next wizard on would be too much. And I don't know if this is going to be the thing, but I did feel like trying out different versions of a send-off could be fun. So what I will say... (laughs) And it's such a dad joke. I had to show so much restraint not making the title of this podcast a dad joke. Some of the other running titles were Percy Laxum or Percy Jack Nun. So because I have reined in the dad jokeness in the title, perhaps the outro will be a dad joke. And I will just say that I'll uh, I'll perceive you all later. <laughs> Amazing. It's so bad, but it's also so good. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Newest Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Kampamanis and Brandon Grugel, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want to learn more about the podcast and see what chapters we are covering in future episodes, you can go to our website, thenewestolympian.com. If you want to support the show and get bonus content for doing so, you can go to thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon. If you want to find us on social media, we are at Newest Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also have a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash thenewestolympian. And of course, as always, shout out to our producer-level patrons, Lada Bartova, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Emma Cooey, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hoskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Natanya Page, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vickstrom, Megan Moon, Tough Bayfong, Moo Moo Productions, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, Olivia Y, Craig McRoberts, Griffin Dork, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Can't I Seaweed Brain, Matt Barger, Peter Johnson, The Twins, Sabrina Balsiger, Mooney B, Bony Pony, Harlan Christ, Heather McMillan, Casey Canales, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Bridget Lowry, Aiden Lippold, Josh Sayer, Percy Blue, Josh Wilkie, Minka Dreesen, Martin Anvik, Abby Ryan, Josh Clemens, Angela MF, and Mary Baumgartner. And if you want to help out the show non-monetarily, you can do so by spreading the show. You can reach out to someone directly who you think would like the podcast and tell them about it. Shoot a message. Say, hey, there's this podcast, The News Olympian. It's really fun. The host is great. He's also very humble. You should check it out. Or you could leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You could post about us on social media. All of these things help so much for a new show like we are. It helps us find a new audience and then it's more friends and then this book club gets bigger. What a fun time. But above all else, thank you so much for listening and I hope you tune in next week as we finish our discussion of chapter six. And until then, I'll see you later.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.